Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to my sponsor, Libro FM. Libro FM Audiobooks lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including many New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as other audiobook companies, but you're going to be part of a much different story, one that supports the community. You can even choose which local bookstore you'd like to support, which is so cool. Listeners of my podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R. R-O.fm and enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y. With every time you listen to an audiobook, now you can be proud that you're supporting a local bookstore. And the best part is that I have my own playlist on Libro FM, which is so cool. So the books that have been on my podcast and that I'm recommending are now in my own playlist. If you go to Libro FM slash playlists, you can find it, which is so great. Hi, listeners. I am so sorry. I did something wrong. I don't even know what I did, but the sound quality on Lauren Meckling and Marcy Dermansky's episodes is not quite up to par with my normal episodes. Honestly, I've done, I don't know, close to 150 episodes, and this is the first time this has happened, and I am so sorry. I'm not a technical whiz, and I guess I did something wrong. So please listen anyway. It's just not perfect, which bothers me. And now is also a great time to read the transcripts of these interviews on my website, zibbyowens.com slash transcript, which has all the transcripts for all my episodes, including a link to audio, a link to buy, and um, it's just another great way to get to know the authors. So Again, I'm really sorry. Please listen anyway, and it won't happen again. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here today with Marcy Dermansky, who's the author of Very Nice, a novel. Her previous critically acclaimed novels are The Red Car, Bad Marie, and Twins. Her short fiction has been widely published and anthologized in McSweeney's, The Indiana Review, and many other publications. A fellowship recipient from the McDowell Colony and the Edward F. Albee Foundation, Marcy graduated from Haverford College and received her Master's in Arts from the Center for Writers at the University of Southern Mississippi. She currently lives with her daughter in New Jersey. Okay, all good? (laughs) Welcome, Marcy. Thank you, Zibby. It's so nice to be here. So nice to have you. So can you please tell listeners what Very Nice is about and what inspired you to write it? Okay, yeah, I'd love to. I'm very nice. Um, This is... um, a literary soap opera. I started this because I wrote a short story for Lenny Letter, and I wanted to write. I wanted to write about a student teacher affair, which is something that I haven't done, but I've always just found it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I it. Yeah, I know we're still going to do it. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I've just always been so interested in it. I've kind of it was like material that other people wrote about, and I was just jealous about. It. I was like, maybe I can write it anyway, even though I haven't had this experience, and that's what one of the pleasures of fiction is. And so you can make things up. And once I had this affair, which starts in the very beginning of the book, the daughter takes her creative writing professor's poodle home for the summer, a standard poodle. And her mother falls in love with the standard poodle. And then when the writing teacher comes to pick up his dog, it becomes really complicated because the mother looks at the professor and she's interested in him too. And so a lot of melodrama and it's set in contemporary America and in the new administration. And I just had so much fun writing it. 
It's really fun to read. Oh, thank it was you. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> no, seriously, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned early on that the professor, Zahid mm-hmm. Azam, yes. pronouncing yeah, it right? I think you are. This fictitious name. <laughs> exactly. Is that, did I get his name right? You got it right. <laughs> I made a joke about how it sounds like a superhero's name, because I think it does sound like a superhero's yeah. name. I like yeah. that starts with a Z. Yeah. Like infinity to any Z. Z's are good. Oh, Z. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's why. <laughs> or just randomly. Yeah. I have a for Z. He has written a book in the beginning yeah. of your book, right. which had received a lot of literary acclaim and yeah. attention, and people throughout the book are like, oh my gosh, your book, and I'm, you know, what, are his, what would his lentils taste like? You know? <laughs> um, but you, what I thought was really interesting is you said that to read it, the sentences were so long and dense that the mother, Becca, had trouble reading it, and other people are kind of ashamed to admit that it was a little bit dense for them. Mm-hmm. And your book had, like, very, like, short, punchy quick sentences so did you do that on purpose well that's actually that is how I write I've always written in this style so it's not unusual I like short sentences I like repetition so I will have short sentences that often reflect that what was just said in the sentence before and sometimes people are like huh she did that again I'm like it was on purpose (laughs) (laughs) but but I also do feel like in the literary world that the more complicated something is the denser it is the longer the paragraphs even the longer the book people just think oh, this must be good. <laughs> and so maybe that's a, like almost a chip on my shoulder where I feel like if you write that way, that's how you're going to win awards and that's going to have, you're having praise. And so I'm sort of, I do mock the writing world a little bit in this book, which is sort of funny because I, I want to be part of it and I love writers. So, yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, I feel like there's a disconnect almost between some of the, I want to say, hyper-literary productions yeah. and the people who read them. Because yeah. unless you have like endless amounts of time, right. it it's, can take a while to get through some of these. It's really, really true. Yeah. And yeah. you're like supposed to love them. I know. And you're not supposed to admit when you don't love them. Right, right. You so. just buy them and that gives you, you know, you, you have it on your right. shelf and you can say that you, you, you've started to read it. That's all you need to do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you told the story from alternating viewpoints. Yeah. So you kept like breaking it. It's like we're watching it. I guess the soap opera was yeah. a perfect analogy. I was going to say it's like watching a movie. Yeah. Um, how did you decide to structure it from all those different viewpoints and to add in all these little coincidences? Yeah. I mean, none, the funny thing about how I write is I don't have an outline and I don't know what I'm going to do before I do it and everything just happens. And I basically wrote the short story and I had so much fun writing it. And then I'm done. That's the problem with short stories is you write 15 pages and then you have to start something new. And I I hate starting new things. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend who teaches writing and she's like, well, why don't you just write from another perspective? So it was like she gave me an assignment. So I wrote from the mother. And then when I finished the mother's, it's like, oh, I'll write from the professor's point of view. And that was fun. And out of nowhere, I still don't know where she came from. I ended up writing from the writing professor's subletter. Like, She's so random, like, how does she fit into the story? But once she was there, I just wanted to keep her. So I kept making coincidences to make her belong. So that Chloe, the subletter of Zahid's apartment, suddenly we find out that she's working for his student's father. And later on, we find out that the woman that she's had a crush on her whole life, her babysitter, well, her babysitter is Zahid's editor. Mm -hmm. And it just gets more and more entangled. And and the story just sort of developed on its own. And and one thing for people who are aspiring to write, when you write alternate points of view, you instantly have a structure. You suddenly realize, oh, I have these four characters. I have an order. So once you finish one point of view, you go to the next character and the next character. And so the story just builds because you're jumping to what's happening to them. But I did cheat a little bit in this book in that the father comes in and he only has his POV twice. And Mm -hmm. so 
the good thing about writing fiction as opposed to like building a building or science or a chemical structure <laughs> is you can you can just break your format a little bit and it still it still works so it held together and so totally yeah thank you <laughs> um so what was funny in the beginning yeah. was how when rachel comes home for the summer rachel is the daughter yeah the professor's student she wasn't expected to go home for the summer right and she decides to go home and her mom becca has recently been left by her husband her dog has recently passed away she's not in the best mindset and sort of was mentally prepared to have the summer to herself so then rachel all of a sudden shows up on her doorstep and she's not sure how she feels about it so she says later like i felt happy now that rachel was home i had thought i might resent her presence but i didn't i genuinely liked my almost adult rachel i had been allowing myself to fall into a lazy kind of depression left by my husband dog dead and then rachel came home with her laundry and this constant need to be fed the minute she walked in the door and i got to mother her and i liked mothering i always had <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about this feeling that she had and that. Right. I mean, it's a funny thing about mothering that you're not supposed to admit to, I don't think. You're not supposed to admit, oh, my God, I don't want my daughter home for the summer. There's all these contradictions where you love your child so much, and then they go off to school, and you're just so grateful. And, like, they're gone. And so I was really playing with that in this book because I have a nine-year-old daughter. And so in, in the novel... Um, the, Rachel is much older, she's 19, but I feel like I can still understand what it would be like to have an older child, and I also use my mother as a, as a model, because I know there are weekends where the family comes over and the grandkids come over, and she doesn't say so, but I feel like, oh, she would really have rather been alone today. And so I'm kind of using all this material from my life and my experience and watching mothers and daughters, and then kind of writing a truth and giving it to another character. Have you ever asked your mom? Um, <laughs> well, it's just obvious. She is it definitely obvious? It's definitely sometimes I obvious, think that yeah. my mother thinks things, and she's like, well, you should have asked me, because actually it's not how oh, I that's thought. also true. No, sometimes, unfortunately, well, that's interesting, too. Sometimes my mom, I love my mom. I so, love my mom. <laughs> we love our mom. So my mom listens to this. She will let you know, or sometimes she just doesn't want you to come over, because she might be a little bit depressed, like this mother might be, or just having a bad day. And then when you appear... You can change your mind. People are so complex. Do you know what I mean? And yes. so I think it's both. And so I think there's this idea that you have a child and they never grow up. And you're like, oh, my God, am, aren't I going to be done taking care of them? But what if you were done taking care of them? You would really miss it. And so it's sort of a pleasure to still be able to baby your adult child. And so I think it's both. And so I think I was really playing with that. That's great. Yeah. Um, so Rachel has, there's this whole other element where a student has a gun and takes the gun out on Becca, the mother. Right. This happens before the story is set. I'm yeah. kind of jumping all over That's with your fine. plot here. Um, <laughs> That's what the plot does. Then Rachel ends up working at a day camp for the summer, and the, the would-be shooter's sister is one of her campers. Yeah. And so she goes to dinner at their house one night, and um, that mother, the mother, I'm sorry, this is like sounding so convoluted. <laughs> Let me just ask this question. So the okay. mother there yeah. is talking about what if her son had actually killed Becca, right? right? And how ho horrible that would be. But she wrote, she, that you wrote that she thought, what would our lives be, Amelia's mother said. She was having trouble sitting on the bar stool in their perfect kitchen. She slipped off. She was crazy drunk. We would be ruined, she said, her arms waving. That's for sure. How could you come back from such a thing? We would not be allowed back into the tennis club. That is for sure. <laughs> I couldn't believe you had her say that. So I had a totally different image of what this family was like okay. until that sentence. Yeah. So tell, tell me about them. Gosh, well, I mean, sometimes I mean, you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say we're not allowed it back in the tennis club. But when you're in somebody's own home, you, you can say whatever you want. And, of course, Rachel is their witness. And then 
our readers are the witness. And I don't think she means it. Like, she does mean it. Like, it, if, if, you're, if your child does something that horrendous, by the way, you, you are actually kicked out of the tennis club. I'm sure. You are ostracized. I mean, your whole life. I mean, when somebody does something as horrific as bring a gun into a school, the ramifications of how many lives they ruin. So I write about this very, very comically, but it's also very, very serious. And so it's a little bit of both. And I think the characters like that family, the Thorntons, they're, 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 they veer on caricature. I mean, this book has a satiric element to it, but I also, you know, she was intoxicated. I make that very clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So another sort of theme in this book is playing with people in positions of authority. Yeah. So you have Rachel with her professor, and then you have Chloe with her crush on her former babysitter, and right. sort of you allude to what may have gone on in the past between the two of them. What, what was that about? It's so interesting because I had, it's funny when, I always feel I love when people read my books and they're like, you're writing about people in authority. And I'm like, oh my God, I did that. <laughs> and it wasn't intentional, but I think, I think that's, probably really common is to, to look up to people who have more authority and who know more and then to sometimes have inappropriate feelings. And so I think that that's what it's about. And so, I mean, I mean, it's, I yeah. feel like it's also very timely. Like it's yeah. been in the news so much lately, even oh, yeah. with like the gymnastics scandal oh, and gosh. just like so many of these, yeah. I don't know, relationships that might not have been condoned. Yeah. Um, this I, is not, you know, in this book. But I feel like relationships between professors and their students has just been happening yeah, since age old, the right, age yeah. old. And suddenly, now you can't. Now it's a bad thing. And, and I think that's a good thing, by the way. I don't have a problem with that. But I think it's age old, and I think it's happened for as long. And I think people are always... I think the funny thing about, about sex is people want to like legislated and make morals to it and it just it's just so messy you mm -hmm. know what i mean and so you, you people just behave really really badly <laughs> and they're not bad people and so well except maybe the babysitter they're, they're bad people in this book but but i i like them all that's a funny thing i write these characters and they really do kind of atrocious things and they don't always treat each other very well and it's strange that i feel affection for every single one of them because i actually do and so, yeah. Well, they become so real. Yeah. I mean, that sounds cliche. Oh, your characters become so real. But right. I mean it. Like, because yeah. I think because they're flawed. Yeah. Right? When characters are too perfect. Yeah. And you don't believe them. And I think, I mean, with this book, it's all in the first person. So I'm so in their minds and in their heads. And so a lot of the writing is sort of um, almost dream of consciousness. I'm just going in and I'm giving everybody its crazy thoughts. And maybe that's so honest. And maybe... Hopefully that makes them relatable, even when a mother is trying to have sex with her daughter's boyfriend. It's like even not her boyfriend, you no, know what I mean? It's always a secret, so it makes things better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rachel is surprised. So this is more about sort of the dad's point of view. Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. So he leaves the wife, leaves Becca. Right. But then he kind of regrets it later yeah. once the dust has settled. And she realizes that her dad is not so happy. So she goes, my poor dad. It was not what I was supposed to hear from my father, who was always upbeat, who was in control of his universe. He's like this big banking guy, successful, yeah. whatever, uh, who played tennis and racquetball and went running, who made tons of money, wore expensive suits. So... Is the implication that the wealthy, powerful person, or person is not supposed to feel lonely, right? Because right. you, you had also said that he was in the second tower when the plane hit on 9-11 and had walked down the stairs and escaped to Connecticut. So it's not like he hadn't been through a lot of stuff. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I like you're almost giving him more depth than what I wrote, so I oh. appreciate it. No, I think it's there. Um, I think there's something about teenagers, about people, that they don't really see their parents as real people. 
And so, like, like Rachel would come home for the summer and give her mother her laundry, and she would act snotty and petulant and be like, I'm in a bad mood, and I don't care what you think. And I think it's the same thing with her father. And it doesn't even really occur to her that he could have feelings or that he could be suffering. Or because people are rich, there's just this idea that, well, I mean, I think Rachel is rich too, but that rich people have to be happy because they have everything. And, of course, that's not how it actually is. There's still people with emotions and feelings and struggle and new problems from having money. But I think Rachel just doesn't see him as a person, he's just dad. And I think once your dad leaves your mother for a younger woman, that complicates things too. And so then if you do something like that, if you do something as stupid as leaving your mother for a younger woman, then you at least shouldn't regret it or you shouldn't be happy or you shouldn't expect her sympathy. So she's a little bit bratty, I think. And I like her too, by the way, but she definitely is only thinking about herself. That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Becca also yeah. just this funny part about things you're not supposed to admit right. as a mom talks about how she like basically does not remember having Rachel oh, as a baby yeah. like that right. she doesn't remember the entire infancy stage at all and, and Rachel was sort of like yeah. what right. <laughs> um, and I thought about that and I, I thought you I, I the, the question really resonates with me because this is where there's truth and there's fiction and I'm not from Connecticut and I have really really middle class kind of upbringing and so there's fiction, and then I'm pulling everything into the characters. And one time, I think, my mother was talking about being a mother, and she had three kids, and it, she was, wanted to be working and wasn't working, and I think she was a little bit overwhelmed and unhappy. And one time, she just sort of said that to me as an offhand comment. She actually said, I don't really remember your childhood. She said, I think memory has a way of protecting you from remembering how unhappy you were. Oh, I know. That's and really heartbreaking. It broke my heart. It made me feel so sad. I was like, you don't remember my childhood? I mean, she does. You it's, know what I mean? It's heartbreaking yeah. for both of you, yeah, that, that conversation. It was so sad. And somebody tells you something like that, and then, like, 10 years later, you, you put it in your book and you give it to somebody else. And so, yeah, and, and, and I have a wonderful relationship with my mom and I visit her all the time and she's a great grandmother and that was just something, I guess you say something like that and she didn't, I don't think she was aware of the fact that it was going to hurt me, which was interesting. I think she had no awareness. And so I put it in this book and then Rachel snaps back. And so there's, there's this fun thing that you can do in fiction where you can, you can respond differently to something that happens. You can take a moment or you can take a memory and then you can change it or you can, you can just use it. And so I sometimes actually just in terms of writing, when you meet strangers or people who meet writers, I was like, oh, I hope you put me in your book. And I think never, never, never wish to be in somebody's book because you never know what a writer's going to do. And it's so, it's so scary when you write because you never want to hurt the people that you love and you never want to go too far. And you, but at the same point, I always, I don't know how people write memoir, by the way, because it's true. But as a writer, there's just like if you want something to turn out well, if you don't use your life and your material and your story, then you don't have anything. And so it's really kind of stealing and it's not always that nice. And I try so hard to be nice. <laughs> but you asked me this question and I thought, well, let me try to be truthful about it. So, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. You, going back to this gun control okay. situation, just yeah. for two seconds. Sure. Because it does come up again at other points in the book. And... Yeah. Um, sort of courses through it. Was that sort of like another grab from the headlines it, thing? It was. Okay. I mean, it was an interesting thing. I wrote this book after, after um, Donald Trump was elected. And I mean, every reader can come from a different perspective. But I know so many different writers where we were all just sort of stuck. We were just like caught off guard. Like, what can we write that matters? And how can we have anything to say at all? And the world is so crazy and everything is so different. 
And so I started to write a literary soap opera. And so what really, really surprised me is when I'm writing this literary soap opera and it becomes political. There's a, a, the, the husband and wife in this book before they were divorced were having fights about whether like, they liked Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. I mean, it was just sort of hilarious, but that was actually true. And I mean, I had friends on Facebook, like female friends who stopped talking to each other because they felt so strongly about Bernie versus Hillary. I mean, it got nuts where people stopped being friends for a short period of time, which is just not, doesn't make sense. But, but with the whole idea of gun control, like I just kind of wrote that in as, as a detail. This mm -hmm. is part of my writing process and that I don't have outlines and I don't plan but I just like the idea of this mother having saved um having saved a boy or like not had there's a gun incident in my book but nothing bad happened so that's a spoiler okay <laughs> okay I can give another spoiler too the dog people worry about this dog just completely unrelated nothing bad happens to the dog all right. <laughs> Rest assured. Rest assured. Cause I, I mean, it's all okay. But so nothing, nothing bad happens to this boy in the gun. But once, I, once you put in a gun and you put a, a child entering into a school, you can't just be haphazard. It has to matter. You have mm -hmm. to work with it. And so once I put that into the novel, I had to go backwards and kind of write it in and make it part of the story and think about it. And hope, yeah, so that's, there's, a, there's also a checkout quote about, you know, I mean, if you have a loaded gun, it has to go off in a book. So where did you write this book? Where did I write this book? I envision yeah. you like at that cafe that you had Becca at with the dog when yeah, he Nazar drives up. Cafe. Nazar yeah. Cafe, right. like in Connecticut, in this bucolic, like lovely place. But maybe you were doing it like in the middle of Midtown or no, I don't know. No, that's a good question. It's a funny place because I actually wrote this in cafes. It's funny. It's a book set in Connecticut where I'm not from. I have friends from Connecticut and I, I have an envy issue and I've been into homes like this. So I'm like, oh my God, they're so nice. So that's another thing about fiction is I put my characters, they got to live in a house I don't get to live in. But I wrote this book in cafes in Montclair. Like, so I did, I wrote all of it in cafes, which they're very strange places to write. I don't know if you try it. They, they can be great. They can be terrible. You can't, you cannot get the table you want. They can be crowded. People can get loud. And you're so deep inside your head and you're writing. And so that's what I did. I had this like memory. I had one time I was writing a scene where the parents were fighting. It was this really intense scene. And I got up to move because the people were too loud at me at the table next to me. So I moved to another table and the people who worked at the cafe just said, oh, you can't sit there because that's a table where you can't have computers. I was like, what? And so it, it was this strange process. And I wrote, I wrote a sex scene in a cafe where it was really, really crowded. And I didn't know that I was going to be doing that. I felt my face just turning bright red. And I just kept on going because I gave myself like sort of word count limits. And so it was an odd writing experience. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Right. Um, that's so funny. My issue yeah. with writing in cafes, which yeah. I do like, I, yeah. I, I was doing a lot of writing a couple years ago, at, like this one pan quotidian on the Upper West Side. Yeah. And like I had the place I like to go and mm -hmm. whatever. But then when you have to like go up and use the bathroom, oh, I never know what to do with all my stuff. You, and then I do I have to bring it and then I lose my table and have yeah. I even paid. Right. And then I'm like distracted from what I'm doing. It's which really is not that I have like a problem right yeah. but no, like, if you're there, I you're there for hours yeah. or whatever, even two, you know. You leave, I usually leave my stuff and I kind of look at a neighbor like, Well you watch it, but how do you know they're not gonna leave? It's just you have to just put trust into the world. Yeah. But yeah, I, I have the same issue. But I, I don't mind writing in like a loud environment. Yeah. Like, I think it's sometimes if I mean if you have the perfect environment it's just so precious and everything is just so nice that you're like it's too much pressure. Mm -hmm. And so, and I also, I mean, I, I do a lot of writing in the summer. And I, I know that summer I had applied to, to, to a lot of residencies. And residencies in the summer, everybody wants to go in the summer. All the professors want to go. And it's just the ideal time. 
and I didn't get into any. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I mean, I think there's the whole idea of a room of your own in the perfect writing space. And I would love to have one, but I, they're just absolutely not necessary. If you want to write, you can write anywhere and you don't have to go somewhere nice and pretty. And I did, um, I went to the Edward Albee um, residency once in Montauk and it was just so beautiful that I almost didn't write at all because every day I just got on my bicycle and I went to the beach <laughs> and so I was like oh my goodness I have a month at the beach <laughs> and so if I'm just sort of like at home I can I can work and it, you know I didn't go on a great vacation that summer but I wrote most of a lot of a book and awesome. yeah mm -hmm. um are you working on a new book I am thinking of ideas. I'm sort of struggling. I'm just sort of typing, and, and I feel like I'm a very fast writer, but the beginning is actually my, my hardest part of the process, and so I haven't settled on what I want to write yet, and I know I will be really happy when I, when I pick that story. How yeah. long did this book take to write? This book was strangely quick. I think I wrote the whole beginning to end, kind of rewriting as I go in about eight months. So... Yeah. And how closely do you work? I know your editor is yeah. Jenny Jackson. He's yeah. like the nicest person. She's the nicest person. How yeah. much editing, like how closely is that, like how much input or like what's that relationship like? Or do you yeah. just like hand it in and it's basically done? Well, no, it's never quite like that. But <laughs> I mean, this, this book is just kind of came almost as a gift, I guess, because I handed it in and there were some line edits and there were some questions. And somehow the very last scene of the book was written in the point of view of the mother instead of the daughter. And, and that was clearly like a bad decision. And it wasn't even her turn. I think I talked earlier about point of view, what turn all the voices. It was supposed to be the daughter's turn. And I think I was a little bit scared to do it. So my editor had me rewrite the last chapter using the point of view that it should be. That was going to be the strongest. And that was a bit of work because the last scene is really crazy and it was really important to get it right. But otherwise, it, it wasn't that much. I've had other editorial experiences where I've been asked to do a lot more. And so I think as an editor, it's probably almost as difficult to have a light touch as it is to have a heavy, heavy hand. So it was really, really helpful and, and not difficult. Do you yeah. do a lot of reading yourself? Oh, I love to read, yeah. When do you find time to read? When do I find time to read? I read, I mean, unfortunately, I read mainly at night before I go to bed, and so a lot of times I am falling asleep with the book on top <laughs> of my head, and then I don't read as much as I do want to, and I read on vacation, and I read on the train, and, but mainly in the middle of the day, it's this funny idea where I always feel like I'm supposed to be doing something, mm -hmm. and so it's hard to read at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and so I wish, I want to change that mindset a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's like mm -hmm. a permission you have to give yourself. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, you look at your phone, and that's just a bad habit. <laughs> yeah. Do you have um, any advice? I know you've already given advice, okay. but yeah. any advice to aspiring authors? Um, I was thinking about that a little bit, about, about so many people when they're writing a novel, there's just this goal. There's this goal for publication, and it's so, so strong. And I want it to, I think, um, everybody wants to get published to the point where they want, they want their book to be done. Like, I, they're just like, I can't stand this book. I've been working on for so long. I want it to be finished. And I feel like it's really important to remember just, like, how great it is to be writing. Like, right now, I'm not working on a novel that I'm in love with. Like, I'm just sort of struggling for my idea, so I'm not in that writing zone. And I just miss it. Like, I will envy people who are writing, even though they've never been published. I'm like, oh, but you're writing every day. And so I think it's important to remember, like, to really appreciate the process and how great it is and to not, to not be thinking about, what happens when I sell the book and how it will change my life because then it just, there are just too many expectations and too much pressure. And so I would tell writers to really just enjoy working on it. Yeah. Excellent advice. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, thank you for this very nice book, yeah. um, which was really fantastic. Okay.
perfect for the summer with a little pool yeah. covered, a little water. Looks like I spilled, but I didn't. It's Great. awesome. I Thank love it. Thanks so much. Okay. So, so fun to do this. Thanks again to my sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens and my new podcast at Kids Do Have Time to Read. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com.